Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. You can clap. God is good. Thank you. God loves to hear our praises, doesn't he? And um, he is present to them. Didn't we feel that this morning? And so I thank you all for being vulnerable and expressing your worship in the way that's unique to you. Uh, Those flags were amazing. Thank you. I was touched by that and blessed by that. Can uh, Can we just praise God one more time? You can do that clapping. Yeah. Yeah, God is present in our praise. Well, good morning, church. Welcome back. Uh, Happy Palm Sunday. It's good to see you all. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time here in the house or online, you know, we're just so glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And so we would love to get you to know you more. So just like Braden said and, and, and some of the others, uh, if you want to get to know us and uh, we would love to hear from you, you can fill out one of those connecting cards in the chair in front of you. Uh, you can fill that out and drop it off at the connecting point at the back of the room after the gathering and say hello to us. We want to we help you get connected at Crosspoint and be a part of what's happening here, what God is doing here. And so today, uh, like I said, it's Palm Sunday, and it's the beginning of Holy Week. And so traditionally, we spend this week reflecting on some of the key events in the life of Christ. The events leading up to his suffering, his death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And on Palm Sunday, we contemplate the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem. And so if you have your Bibles or your smartphone, I'm going to get you to swipe over to Luke chapter 19 with me. Now, the Gospel of Luke is about three quarters to the right in your paper Bibles. And if you're at the book of Mark, you need to keep going. If you hit John, you need to stop. You've gone too far. Back it up. Luke chapter 19. And Luke's Gospel clearly presents Jesus to us as the Son of God, who is the King of all, who came to seek and save, and whose kingdom has come near. And so, in a real unique way. The gospel of Luke is a king's tale. And so today I want to do three things. First, I want to paint you a picture. And then I want to describe what is wrong with this picture and the problem it presents. And finally, I want to point out God's answer to that very problem. Are you tracking with me? Okay, we have a picture, a problem, and God's answer. So we're in Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start with verse 28. And so here, Jesus had just finished a time of teaching people and disciples in the countryside. And now they were on the move and they're on their way to Jerusalem. So let's jump right in, starting with verse 28. Here's what Luke says. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one else has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. 
And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he, they had seen saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what's happening here? So Jesus has been creating sparks in the countryside with his teaching and his miracles. His reputation precedes him everywhere he goes. Now he shows up outside Jerusalem during the week of the Passover festival. And the city is a powder keg, ready to explode. Naturally, when Jesus arrives, there's this scene. And so here's the picture today. The first hit, First century historian Josephus tells us that it was a time of Passover, which is the most sacred of all Jewish festivals. And Jerusalem was astir. Devout Jews from far and wide had converged upon the holy city to commemorate God's historic liberation of Israel from the Egyptian enslavement. For people struggling, struggling under the yoke of yet another oppressive superpower, this time Rome, Passover also served as a painful reminder that they were no longer free. Year after year, the Jewish people came together to recall when God won their freedom. And year after year, they hoped that God would do it again. With so many people dreaming of independence in the city, all gathered in one place, Jerusalem often became a volatile place during Passover. In fact, the week had a track record of inciting all-out insurrection. In fact, during the same festivities over 30 years before, something happened. A group of frustrated Jews enlisted recruits in the temple, and they stoned a company of Roman soldiers right to death. In response, the provincial ruler, Herod Archelaus, rushed his entire army into the city and promptly crushed the uprising. And that day, 3,000 Jews died, and that year Passover's festivities were canceled. And so years later, Pontius Pilate enters, the Roman governor of Judea, the hand of the emperor himself, enters Jerusalem as a Passover peacekeeper. And his procession is a show of brute force. War horses and foot soldiers in mass, full armor, weaponry, regalia, and ceremonial dress, trumpets 
trumpets and drums and fanfare. It was a massive show of brute strength. And if there was trouble, they would keep peace by any means necessary. But Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem shortly thereafter caused a different kind of stir. Jesus sends the disciples for a young, never-been-ridden colt, a ride fit for a king. These disciples throw their cloaks over, and Jesus rides it down the Mount of Olives. And despite everything Jesus had said to this point, the crowd of disciples following Jesus, the followers in the hundreds, the multitude start to think, wait a second, this is it. It's going to happen right now. And they start to shout and sing and praise God for all the works they had seen Jesus do. And so they start singing their own riff off of Psalm 118. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. No, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They wanted right then to crown him king. And this was his party. But wait, wherever there's cake, there's also flies not far behind. Right? See, the Pharisees were following Jesus too. And these teachers of the law, they had heard enough. So they insert themselves into Jesus' procession and they say, Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. They don't know what they're talking about. And surely they thought he wasn't their king, the Messiah. But Jesus knows there's no stopping this. He says, if his disciples were quiet, the very stones would cry out. Creation itself crowns him king. And then as Jesus and the crowd come over a ridge on the Mount of Olives, they see Jerusalem for the first time in full view. And when he saw Jerusalem, he stopped in his tracks on that colt and he wept. He stopped and he took it all in and he was overcome with compassion and tears rolled down his face. See, this is the picture of Palm Sunday. The multitude is cheering the Pharisees are sneering. The crowds are waiting and watching. The disciples praise him. They cry, crown him. But Jesus, Jesus is weeping. What is wrong with this picture, friends? See, this is part of the problem we have. I mean, I don't know about you, but have you just completely missed the point? Have you done that? It's like, it's like buying a Big Mac and wearing it as earmuffs. You know, just... Can you imagine that? You're missing the point. It's like buying season tickets to the Oilers and expecting them to win. That's not the point. I'm not making friends today. Um, <laughs> but you see what I mean? It could change. It's not necessary. Okay. Note taken. It's like bagging a bunch of clothing for donation and just throwing it in the trash. It's like going on a date with your wife and paying her no attention. You're missing the point. Have you done that? But seriously, have you done that? I have, and I, I bet you probably have too. It's so easy to lose sight of why we do something, even as a church, especially when we've been doing it a while. What a purpose is, and why we started this thing in the first place. And so often we forget God's purpose in the world. We can so be so concerned about Jesus' politics or cultural position. We are, what are people saying about Jesus? I'm so worried about what do they believe about Jesus? If only they knew what was right. If only the world was like it once was. 
And so we get so distracted that we forget about Jesus' true mission and by extension, ours. It's easy to forget and sometimes we just miss it. But Jesus, listen, he never forgets. And he is so intentional, isn't he? Listen, here's the big idea for today, and I don't want you to miss it. Jesus' greatest desire is our highest calling. Jesus' greatest desire is our highest calling. And so what is Jesus' great desire? Greatest desire? Well, we're, this, this is why we gather, to figure that out week by week. What's the real problem here? What makes Jesus weep? Well, let's take a closer look. If we take a fresh new look at the story, we discover what is not the problem. First, the problem is not who will be king. Second, the problem is not who will be praised. First of all, Jesus is king. Amen? Right? That's uncontested. The Bible says and teaches us that he is sovereign. That is sov, which means above, and reign, which means to rule over. He rules above all authorities, kings, and powers. He has established his throne in heaven, the Bible says. And his authority is all authority that exists on earth and in heaven is given through him. And he holds all things together. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is the king of all. That's not the problem. The multitude following him lay down their cloaks and branches for him to tread on as he enters Jerusalem. And see, this was a common way to welcome a new king in ancient Israel. It was like they were rolling out the red carpet for the new king. But the question is, what kind of king is Jesus? Do you know that donkey, that young one that he rides on? That no one has ridden before? That's no arbitrary detail. Kings don't just ride donkeys. And this donkey has so much cultural significance. It was common for kings in, ancient, in the ancient Near East to ride donkeys during times of peace. During times of war, you don't grab a donkey, you grab a horse, right? It's way more efficient and effective. I mean, this is significant for two reasons, let me tell you. First, a king who rides in on a donkey communicates that his kingdom is sovereign. And as such, his kingship is uncontested. Jesus was saying, I am the king. His arrival says there are no contenders. And my kingdom is not like other kingdoms. Why? Again, it's that donkey. Number two, when the king rides a donkey, he tells us how his kingdom reigns. What Jesus is doing is fulfilling the prophesy, prophecy of a priest named Zechariah. In Zechariah's vision, he tells us that Zion, or Jerusalem, will receive their king in such a way. He says, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, not only was Jesus identifying himself as the Messiah King of Israel, but he was making a statement of what his kingdom's reign was like. Jesus is the king, and his kingdom is one of peace. He is the king of peace, the prince of peace. And in the Hebrew tradition, now, peace is not the thing of pageant princesses and debutantes, okay? It's not world peace. It's different. 
Peace is not mean, the means of avoiding conflict. It's not a policy of national security or tolerance or compromise. The ancient biblical concept of peace is always based on of justice and righteousness. Where justice prevails, righteousness rules, and there is God's peace. And this peace is expansive in its implications. So much fits into and under it is related to our health, economy, creation, harmony, and wholeness, and is a means of human flourishing, perfect welfare, serenity, fulfillment, freedom from trouble, liberation from the hindrances of contentment, and the full blessedness of God. That is God's peace. And Jerusalem, the city of peace, the new Eden, was not in God's perfect peace. And so if Jesus comes in the name of God's peace, this changes how we see everything that follows. Now, second, who will be praised is not the problem. Jesus will be praised. All praise belongs to him. Didn't you sense that this morning? It's his. Who else can do what he has done? Who else is like him? Jesus says that if the people do not praise him, creation will cry out, the rocks will begin to sing. And so when Jesus arrives, even those who do not believe he is the Son of God praise him. Even those who do not follow him or call him master praise him. And so when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, they had seen and heard all that he had done in the countryside in, in Galilee. So it's easy to praise God, you know, after all the healings, the miracles, the signs, and the resurrecting of the dead. It's easy to praise them when you've seen all that. And they hoped that Jesus would use that power to save them from Rome. So they sang Hosanna, just like we sang this morning, which in the Aramaic means save us. Lord Jesus, save us. So they waved their palms, which was actually a symbol of revolution. So tell me today, was their praise just a thinly veiled agenda? We do need to be careful. Don't get me wrong. He is worthy of our praise. It's uncontested. But if we're honest, we find it easier to give God our praise when he has met our desires. I know how hard it is to stand here on Sunday morning and sing in the middle of our mess. Isn't it? But we still do it because it belongs to him. But one way or another, for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, Jesus will be praised. It is easy to praise God when he moves in powerful ways in our lives. It's another thing completely to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's still more to follow him through Jerusalem to the cross. Praise looks back on what God has done, but it is our worship that offers ourselves to God right now. And so Jesus will be praised. He is worthy, right? And the Bible says that he is present to it. He loves to hear our praise. But here's the point. He does not need it. He does not need our praise. The problem with Palm Sunday and, and this picture that I've illustrated for you today is not whether we'll give our donkeys to the Lord. The problem with this picture is not whether everyone will call Jesus king. The problem with this picture is not whether King Jesus will be praised. Jesus doesn't need the world's throne. He is enthroned. He is the king. Jesus doesn't need your praises. After all he has done, he is worthy of them. 
The problem is not really the Pharisees, the gawkers, the disciples, or anyone else. The problem is this. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, and we don't always fully understand why. That's the problem. Why aren't we weeping with him? Because these things, he says, have been hidden from our eyes. Jesus says, would that you, even you, meaning his own people, the people of Israel, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. See, it was hidden from the eyes of the crowds. The Pharisees and even the disciples, they couldn't see these things that make for peace. They were more concerned about making Jesus king than seeing his kingdom come. And Jesus knew where all this revolution, this war and politics would lead. And it was destruction. So Jesus weeps because he knows it doesn't have to be this way. See verse 43, Jesus prophetically foretells where the ways of this world will take us. He laments over the city. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you do not know the time of your visitation. And what Jesus is describing here was the future Jewish revolt that actually came to pass about 40 years later, where the Jews took back the city from Rome, resulting in a Roman siege and the destruction, the total destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus knew where all this fanfare, the power struggles and violence were heading. And it hurt his heart. He wasn't concerned about a crown or power. He wasn't worried about the manner of our praise. He wasn't you know, worried about any of that. If you want to know what Jesus cares about here, it is the things that make for peace. That's what's on his mind. And to understand the kingdom, you need to understand the king's heart. And following his entrance into Jerusalem, making peace was what occupied his mind. That's what he cares about. So remember this. Jesus' greatest desire is our highest calling. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. We're part of his family. We'll look like our father who is the king of peace. We have relational intimacy that makes us look like him, reflect his attributes, which is peace. And he weeps because there's no peace in Jerusalem. He cannot see justice and righteousness in the world. And it moved him. If only they knew, he thought, the things that make for peace. What brought him to tears was his desire that we would know these things. And so there is no peace in Jerusalem. Do you ever feel that way? Today, people are divided. The sick and the sinner are marginalized. Nations are at war right now. Cops are dying and children are being shot down in their classrooms. If only we knew the things that make for peace. But there is another way, and Jesus can see it, can you? Can you see it? He can see enemies becoming friends. He envisions flourishing and thriving marriages and families. Jesus can see a transformed neighborhood on East 118th right here. Can you see that? Jesus desires to see justice roll forth in Northeast Edmonton and righteousness done in our streets. Can you see it? And Jesus went to the cross to make it so. It was on the cross that Jesus gave us peace with God. But he doesn't just want to save us. He wants to see us flourish. 
Because of what he did there, he can know God's peace reign. How? Well, Jesus shows us. Jesus made peace for four days in Jerusalem before suffering, dying, and rising again. He restored the temple to its purpose. He spoke truth to those who would listen. He served and celebrated with others. He condemned and prevented violence. He stood trial and was tested. He suffered and forgave and blessed his enemies, and he died for them. He did all these things to make peace. The humility, the restraint, the love and compassion of Jesus embodied are the way to peace. His life displayed it. The cross ensures it. Today we enjoy it, yes. And one day Jesus will complete it, amen? Perfect peace, God's peace. So what should we do? Well, the answer is peacemaking. And Jesus models for us the ways of peace. So here are just three of my observations about Jesus and a crash course in peacemaking. This is just the beginning, trust me. We're learning this together. First, move towards the mess. Jesus did that. Move towards the mess. The messiness of people's lives moved Jesus. He was said to have come eating and drinking. And who did he do that with? With rejects and sinners. That's right. To the fringes of society. With the people who are unable to keep it together. In compassion, he moved toward these people. And so Jesus did not shy away from the mess, but instead he looked at the people around him, Jews and Gentiles, followers and fans, Pharisees and zealots, and he knew what it would mean to save them, yet he did not turn his back. Do you want to be a peacemaker in this world? Move towards the mess of life. It's unavoidable, really. Inevitably, someone's mess will come into your life. Maybe that mess is your own. Right? Don't avoid it. Don't ignore it. Move closer to where the conflict is and where the need for just change is greatest. Into places where the presence and peace of God are obviously absent. We enter these spaces not to persuade or to compete, fight or win, but to heal. To make peace. So to uh, borrow two illustrations from Jesus, peacemakers are ancient agents of what? Salt and light. We apply salt to the moral decay in our community, which heals and preserves. What would it look like for you to stay salty today? It's not actually an attractive term these days, salty people, like a pirate. We need to be salty. How can we stay salty? Maybe it's telling the truth in love, protecting or serving. Let's stay salty, friends. Stay salty. We bring light into society's darkest areas, bringing truth, clarity, and freedom. How can you shed light in our dark world, in our community? Maybe it's confession. Maybe it's reconciliation, a message of hope for the hopeless. How can we be light today? The second thing Jesus shows us in the way of peace is that we need to reconcile with all people, all of them. See, Jesus was moved by the pain and the brokenness of everyone. He suffered trials and the cross for us all. Not just Jews like him, but for all who believed in him. He followed him for those who just, you know, not just for the people who, uh, you know, follow him, but for everyone who observed his life and ministry, even those who murdered him. And he did it for us while our sins still put him on that cross. While we were still sinners. Jesus came to speak peace to the nations. See, Christ-like peacemakers don't create peace as the world does. It's not that same kind of peace. Giving it to one group by taking it from another. 
or keep the peace by pushing others around or keeping them in line. God's peace is a concern with the well-being of all people, friend or foe. God's peace reigns where our violent hearts are disarmed, and instead we turn our attention toward what is loving and good and beautiful, aiming our affections towards people in our lives. The theologian William Barclay believed that peace must be made. He once said that peacemakers are people who produce the right relationships in every sphere of life. You know, granted, peacemaking is not like peacekeeping or avoiding conflict. It's much messier. Often, at least initially, making peace will cause tension. But it takes work to get things right, doesn't it? What would it take to produce right relationships in every area of your life today? Here's a couple quick suggestions, but not limited to. Face conflict head on. Directly with the person in question. Give generously. Be hospitable in your disagreements. Be quick to apologize and forgive yourself and others. We have been, we freely have been given the grace of God. Shouldn't we forgive that same gift to others? No matter what they have said or done, especially to those who have said something and done something against us. God has been so generous. Finally, Jesus directs us in the way of peace to prepare for sacrifice. Jesus was prepared for the cross. He came as a sheep for slaughter. He is not the hammer of God. He is the lamb of God. And just like always, the lambs were brought in from Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, through the sheep gate, where Jesus arrived at Jerusalem on this day. We found was found to be a spotless and sheep without blemish, just as Jesus was on trial. Their blood was shed to forgive sin and give abundant life, just as Jesus' blood was. But this time, once and for all, the Bible says that God made peace by using the blood of Christ's death on the cross. See, the path of peace is not paved with good intentions. It comes at a great cost. It should be our expectation that we too will sacrifice for peace. We might even sacrifice what is good for God's best, the peace of God. And the peace of God is worth it. So I, I want to tell you a story um, about somebody I met lately. Uh, recently, my wife started working with a young man uh, who's had a very difficult life. And recently, um, you know, Dom met this young man, and naturally she felt great compassion for him and, and, and wanted to help him rebuild. And it started with helping him find a home. That's Dom's niche. Then it led to helping him build a life. And originally, uh, to my own shame, I didn't want to get involved. <laughs> the man's life was a mess. He was a demand on our time and our money. And, and, and I love you guys so much, but you guys take up a lot of my time. Um, I love you for it. And so there's this real battle in, in my heart over it. And in the end, I, I, I couldn't have been more wrong. I am still learning how to make peace. And this man, he was not so different from me. He, he needed to know the peace of God. Like me, he was the kind of person Jesus desired to save and restore. But again, my heart had slowly become hard and callous. It happens over and over again. But who would share the truth in love with him if it wasn't for me? Who would withstand scrutiny and sacrifice for him if not me? 
who would demonstrate the love and compassion of God to him if not me? So God broke my heart again for this young man and for this city. And because of a good wife. Listen, friends, it could be a long road. It could be a long road to God's peace on earth. But I believe we can make it one person at a time in our community where we're at. And some of you here today might need your heart broken again. Some of you might need God's peace. So let me pray for some of you and invite some others. If you're a believer here today, this is a real challenge. To move towards the mess, reconcile with all people and make sacrifices, uh, it's hard. And what strikes me about this challenge is that we don't have the heart for it. I mean, cross-pointers, when's the last time you cried over your city? You wept over it? See, if we want to be peacemakers, we need a greater passion for the broken people in our community. So my prayer for you is this, and for myself, is this. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Soften these stone-like things in our chest and help us to spill over with compassion for the people of Northeast Edmonton. We need to see people in situations like Jesus does. And if that's you, I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. But let me speak to another group here first. You might be here today, and you have never known or accepted the peace you have in Jesus. And as Jesus said, you did not know the day of your visitation, or in other words, the opportunity for salvation. Listen, Jesus is your salvation if that's you. There is no other name by which you will be saved. He is the only way to peace with God. You cannot earn it. It's a gift of grace received by faith in his son, Jesus. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you to receive new spiritual life by an act of God that will mark a new beginning for you. And all you need to do is place your trust in Jesus. In the book of Romans chapter 10, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So if you believe in Jesus and desire salvation from sin and peace with God right now, now can be the moment. Right now. You can say it out loud. So if that's you, right here where you're sitting, pray this prayer with me. And I, We're not going to be looking around. We're not going to be snooping on our neighbor. Okay? You can say it out loud. You can mouth the words quietly. You can come and pray it with our prayer team in a few moments, but here it is. If that's you, pray this with me. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and that I have sinned against you. Please forgive me of my sins. I confess your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. And right now, I give my life to you. Amen. Now, if you just had that moment with God, you know, I would love to hear about it and help you take the next steps in your journey. And you can talk to one of our pastoral staff, uh, come to the prayer team or submit it on a note on a connecting card at the back. We'd just love to hear that story and help you with that next step. Now, let, let me pray as we close for all of us. I'm going to invite Derek up. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would give us a heart for the city, for Northeast Edmonton, 
And I ask that you would break our hard hearts with the things that break yours. Help us to know your peace, but also be channels of your peace. Not the, the peace that the world brings, but your perfect intention and plan for creation and time. Prince of peace, we pray that your kingdom would come. And your will would be done as it is in heaven. And so we just pray these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, I'm just going to invite you to stand. Jesus is worthy of our praises, but he's also worthy of it all. So we're just going to sing that song again, and then I'll come up and close. Lord, have your way in me. 
Let's just raise our hands. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. All my life. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. You are beautiful in all your ways. We love living for you. God, help us to be peacemakers. Help us to carry your heart, your truth, your love, your power your peace into our homes, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into the nations of the earth. God, help us. Lord, we need you. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.